Welcome to the Strings Unraveled Book Club for our first meeting. Yay! Yay! Uh, we announced on our October podcast that we would be um, trying out a book club, so a virtual book club that you can listen in and, and join in or, you know, listen to us talk about it and see if you want to read it as well. So we read Hum, If You Don't Know the Words by Bianca Moraes. So Bianca Moraes. Um, it's a wonderful book set in South Africa. Uh, it was described to us as a coming-of-age novel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of our customers recommended it to us. And I, I think that was that. a very good recommendation, but there was so much more. It was a lot more yeah. than, yeah, than that. Um, <coughs> so I have a quick couple-minute-long um, synopsis I'm going to read, just so we can all be on sort of the same page. If you have read it, like me, it's been, uh, I think I probably finished it about a month ago. A couple weeks ago, so I needed a little refresher. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're planning on reading the book, I might recommend listening to this after you've read it. Maybe not before, because no spoilers. But um, So this is from a website called bookrags.com. And um, it says, The novel brings together two unlikely people from different walks of life during the oppressive apartheid regime of 1970 South Africa. These two people are nine-year-old Robin Conrad, a white girl from middle-class family, and 50-year-old Beauty Mbali, a woman from the rural village in the trans sky. The action begins around the time of the 1976 Soweto uprising, whereby thousands of black school children came together to peacefully protest the introduction of Afrikaans as the main uh, teaching language in schools. The police intervene, and many children are seriously injured and killed. Robin's parents, Jolene and Keith, who have been out at a work party, are murdered in the wake of the carnage, while simultaneously Beauty's daughter, Nomsa, goes missing. Robin and her sister, Cat, who is a manifestation of her imagination rather than a real person. Big spoiler. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like I said, <laughs> listen to this afterwards. Uh, they move into their Aunt Edith's apartment, and she becomes Robin's guardian. Beauty receives a letter from her brother, who has been housing Nomsa during her schooling, saying that he believes her to be in danger. Beauty travels to Johannesburg in order to find Nomsa and bring her home. She leaves her two sons at home to tend to village chores. After arriving in Soweto, she walks through the streets, which are fraught with devastation, and tries to help and comfort a number of injured children. Judith and Robin have a mildly awkward relationship, as Edith has never had nor wanted children of her own. She's an air hostess who is something of a jet-setter, and values her freedom and independence. Having to care for Robin creates an obstacle to this freedom, but the pair struggle along together, trying to make things work. Uh, Robert, Robin, excuse me, Robin and Edith have an understanding that if they do not speak of Jolene and Keith's deaths, then neither of them have to face their grief and sorrow. Meanwhile, Beauty and her brother, along with some other friends and neighbors, try to piece together what happened and where Nomsa could be. It turns out that Nomsa was one of a group who organized the march. And there is word that she'll be going to Rhodesia to undergo military training with the MK. As Beauty continues her search for Nomsa, she's directed to the home of someone known as the White Angel, a white English woman named Maggie who befriends and helps black people who are in trouble. She helps Beauty in her mission to find Nomsa as she has many influential contacts. Maggie sets Beauty up with employment as Robin's nanny so she can stay in the city legally and so that Edith can come... (coughs) can continue her job as an air hostess without leaving Robin alone. 
It takes some time for Robin to warm to beauty as she's getting over the sting of rejection um, of her old maid, Mabel, who left her during her parents' deaths. Uh, the pair soon become very close, however, and Robin tries to use her surveillance and detective skills to help gather information about Nomsa. Robin becomes friends with Maury, an English, excuse me, a Jewish boy who lives in the apartment block, and a biracial janitor called King George, and together <laughs> they embark on several missions to aid Beauty in finding Nomsa without her knowledge. One day, Nomsa approaches Robin in a park and asks her to give Beauty a note detailing a meeting, a time, and place. Robin promises to do so, but thinks that if Nomsa and Beauty are reunited, then Beauty will want to go away to be with her daughter and leave Robin all alone. She decides to keep the letter from Beauty, but Beauty finds it by coincidence and has a heart attack from emotional overload. Robin sets off with help of King George and Maury to find Nomsa's friend Fumla, who she says will know Nomsa's whereabouts. They go to an illegal bar, and King George distracts Shakes, the man who's controlling Nomsa, while Robin tries to convince her friend that she is trustworthy. She dances with a boy named Asanda in an attempt to prove her efforts to learn about different African cultures. Uh, and he tells her where beauty, or excuse me, and he tells her where Nomsa is. Robin and King George go to find her and tell her the only reason Beauty did not go to meet her was because Robin didn't give her the letter. Nomsa goes with Robin and King George to the hospital and she sees Beauty uh, and Nomsa are reunited. Robin desperately wants to go into the room to see Beauty, but she knows that in order to rectify her wrongdoings, she must allow Nomsa and Beauty to have this time together and that it doesn't concern her. Edith arrives at the hospital elated that Robin is safe and Robin realizes that despite their flaws, Edith really does love her. So that is our synopsis. Good book. Let's go home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, so you don't much. even need to listen to the audiobook. <laughs> no, 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 no. There is so much to say. Uh, oh, speaking of the audiobook. Yeah. Audiobook is super helpful because it really helped put some um, perspective of the characters. I really could feel the characters a little better myself. I would have never in my head pronounced things correctly either. It, no. Exactly. I was glad to have the audiobook number one because it's sort of, it's told, the book is told between the two different perspectives mm -hmm. of Robin and Beauty. And it sort of goes back and forth between the chapters, um, like the narrative of Beauty speaking and then of Robin speaking. And it sort of helped personalize the characters having different voices and different accents for the two mm -hmm. characters because then you could sort of picture them a little bit easier in yeah. your mind and, and stuff. And as someone who was actually alive when this ha was happening, I did not even know that there was a British contingency there. I just, in oh. fact, I didn't even know that Johannesburg was pronounced that way because I'd only heard it because during the 70s, it was always Johannesburg. It was always pronounced from the, from the viewpoint of the white Dutch people. Okay. So the Brits <coughs> didn't the Brits win the Boer War? Yeah, but why were they in control? The Afri the Dutch were in control. It's um it's a Afrikaners like broke off and did their own thing. Mm. Um as the only like white African natives after a, a time. Um the people born there. Yeah, um, yeah. But um so can I get on my high horse for two seconds? Sure. Absolutely. Okay. So Robin talks about her neighbor who's an Afrikaners mm -hmm. who hates her family mm -hmm. because her dad's, you know, an Englishman who's in charge at the mine mm -hmm. and um, there's a language barrier there <coughs> and um, Actually, because the, the neighbor's boy his English was barely, yeah. he really didn't understand yeah. She talks about how this hatred goes back to the Boer War 
which mm-hmm. I have to look up the time frame for. Which Boer War is where our friend General Kitchener comes from. <laughs> I don't call the man anymore. credited with uh, <laughs> inventing the way to seamlessly the close misogy- the toe of a sock. The, the yes. misogynist man who took the credit of some. Wo- okay, so that's woman. 1902 was the end of the Second Boer War. So that's to 1976. <coughs> so that's, you know, a whole life. 74 years? Yeah. It's several uh, generations deep. And so. Um, if you don't know, General Kitchener is where the Kitchener stitch gets its name, which is when you graft the end, graft the end of a toe together, or create a row of stockinette between two sets of live stitches. And um, it was created by a woman who was tasked with eliminating the seam at the end of a toe, so that General Kitchener's men no longer um, would get sores on the end of their toes from um, the seams in their socks. Um, I should have known that a man didn't come up with that. Yeah. So he is also the mastermind behind um, concentration camps. What? And so let's not call it Kitchener Stitch anymore. It is grafting. Graft the toe of your sock together. But someone else, Linda, came up with a great idea. (coughs) I think if it were one of his troops' wives, Mm -hmm. then there's a chance you could find her name. Okay. But um, it very well could have been a native person. Yeah. And then you're never going to find her name. Yeah. And so Linda... I can see that. A native person who um, maybe... Got was able to get employment by fixing stuff when, or who was even just a slave in the camp to the families. Oh, like that's um, true. slavery was then. You know, the way you knit is strongly influenced. Like regions around the world is influenced by which European colony came and colonized you. Mm-hmm. So mm. native people were knitting. There had been Europeans there for century at that point, centuries. Mm-hmm. Um. So, Linda said, let's call it the camp woman stitch. I like it. So, I'm open to that. Or just calling it grafting. Because yep. that's Let's forget that guy's name. <laughs> yeah. Or not totally forget. I don't know who you're talking about. Yeah, because um, let let's me just stop giving him. Let's just stop giving him credit for something he most let's, likely never did. Yeah, let's give him credit for the thing he should be famous for that I hope that you know where. <laughs> so. Well. Um, I've been looking forward to sharing that because I was like, oh, my gosh, she's talking about the hatred of the Dutch people being interred by General Kitchener mm-hmm. <laughs> that lasted all the way forward, you know, three quarters of a century and more because that's the Second Boer War <coughs> ended in 1902. Um, well, what about the fact? first Boer War was 1880 to 1881. The second Boer War was longer, 89 to... Don't bore me with dates. Ni- 1902. <laughs> well, I see what I did there. Yeah. <laughs> Don't bore me with dates. Dates are delicious. <laughs> okay. We oh, digress. bore me. Ha, oh, oh. Ha, 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 ha. oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can't believe you. The delay. That is totally something I would do. <laughs> well, you must be tired. a different pun. Yeah. Um, okay, so okay, I've been looking forward to that. It's so <laughs> Thank pertinent you for sharing to your my, um, to one of my campaigns. <laughs> so, what is one of the questions you have for for us to think about and answer? Well, first, I just want to talk about: Did you like the book? I loved absolutely love the book. 
I actually, really enjoyed it. I loved it so much. I went and listened and read her second book. I yeah. downloaded it, but I haven't Which listened because really I wanted it. to like it keep my brain focused on this. It has a recurring character, but it sets, takes place 14 years later, and it really is a different story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, this was the author's debut novel. Written um, as a school project. I really enjoyed it. I, she's amazing. I Very talented. listened to it uh, in just a couple days. I did take a break um, at the point where I have this thing where it's like if something bad happens in the story, I'm like, I don't want to, I, I have to stop. Aww. So when Beauty had her heart attack, I sort of stopped listening for a little while. And then <laughs> it was so like, close to the end. I know, I didn't realize I was that close to the end. No, so she, like a she, week or two later, I decided to like, okay, if, I should finish she, it. If that was the end, that would really have been a sucky book. <laughs> To bring us so close to... Well, the thing about South Africa is that a lot of real and surreal things exist yeah. there uh-huh. yeah. that just straight suck. Yeah. <laughs> so I could see a story ending that way there. And some of that comes about in her second book. So. Oh. Yeah, the second was... book is called If You Want to Make God Laugh. <laughs> Basically, make, make plans. plans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's also an excellent book. I love the book. I loved what it stirred <coughs> in my head. Because as soon as I finished listening and reading along to um, the book, I had to go listen to Trevor Noah's book, which he, um, if you don't know who Trevor Noah is, he's the host of The Daily Show on Comedy Central. And um, he has a memoir called Born a Crime because he was um, born of um, a time when it was not okay to be a mixed race child. And it was literally a crime. And he talks about the jail sentences that his um, black mother and his white father would have faced if anyone, like... Knew. Well, it was kind of just... (coughs) People knew, but if you outright acknowledge it, you were going to do jail time. Wow. Um, And he goes into a lot of detail about what it's like to you know, have your father fall behind you or walk across... Like, he had to walk across the street if they ever went anywhere Mm -hmm. together. Um, So he was born in, I think, 1984. So he was born, just fast forward a little bit, to, in his childhood, apartheid ended. Um, Right. And so it was... And he was born in South Africa? In South Africa, yeah. (coughs) Um, And he, he grew up in the area that this book is set. So... After getting the groundwork of the novel and uh-huh. then listening to this real person who, like, spent his time in Johannesburg and Soweto and, um... Soweto, yeah. Um, d- you know, different places, different regions around there. And to talk about his identity as how people perceived him, white or black, and how he chose to self-identify and... Um, his experience in that mixed up world um, where he really had no place and making his way was just so rich mm-hmm. um, to compare against the story told um, in this one book. The, one of the things that struck me about um, the child whose name I isn't told. What's Robin. 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 Is how very lonely her existence was. She's, you know, her parents were basically disinterested. Her um, her father was too busy working. He's the working middle class. And, you know, I know back then parents didn't have close relationships with her, with, but she went from a lonely childhood where in the beginning you think she has a twin sister. So, you know, when, what, what, but then she, then, so she's ignored by her parents. And then she goes to live with her aunt who is in no way shape ever in a, this lifetime capable of caring for a child because she's a very self-centered person in my opinion 
Mm-hmm. I mean, she tries the best she can, but she she mourns the loss of her lifestyle more than she lo- mourns the loss of her sister, I think. I don't know about that. <coughs> I think that's probably just one of the that's ways that she... just a coping she, mechanism? Yeah, yeah. cope oh. with it. But I feel but I mean, for, who, the poor, for poor Robin. I mean, she goes from one lonely Robin existence a, to another lonely existence. Yeah. Very sympathetic character. Because yeah. she, she's so much... <coughs> she's so representative of both her ethnicity mm-hmm. and of her childhood. Well, yeah, she's like... And what, of nine? her circumstances yeah. and of the time she's in. And she's always just trying her most sincere mm-hmm. best. Um, Who was, like, totally taken... Like, did you see it coming that Cat wasn't real? Well, that's what I wanted to say. So when... Um, oh, what's... <coughs> when Mabel's like, don't tell them where your sister is. Yeah. I was like, why is she saying that? I don't understand. I was really worried about the little sister. About Kat. Yeah. And Because then, the police come and take really Robin they, away. They, they don't want it, she they don't want the, her to know that Robin they want they don't want Ro- them to think that Robin's no. crazy. Imagine this. You're a black maid in a household where two people have just been murdered and they think you might have something to do with it and they're already abusing you. Mm-hmm. And a little girl says Go get my sister. She's in mommy and daddy's bed. Mm-hmm. And that little girl's not there. Yeah, yep. that would be really bad for Mabel. <laughs> Mabel was already having a yeah, bad Yeah, it's probably night. not as bad for Robin as it would have been <laughs> yeah. for Mabel in that situation. Yeah, when but, I learned that Kat wasn't real, uh-huh. and my mind flashed right back to that. Because yeah. Mabel, yep. Mabel did everything sh- that she was supposed to do to care for her. But mm-hmm. you know that... Mabel had Mabel's interest in exactly. That's why she left. Um, and but it wasn't so, that long between when that happened. She said, "Don't tell him about your sister, or whatever." And then they go to the police station. So that whole time, you're really worried about yeah. Kat, who's still at home by herself. Yeah, but she's not real. And then Edith, it was Edith, right? Yeah, yeah. your sister's, your sister's not, not real. real. Oh, <laughs> I also felt felt for poor Mabel because. Mabel really had no duty Once the parents are gone and the police come She had no duty to take care of this child But she still did (sighs) She got beat up, she was abused by the police officers And she still in some ways Tried to protect that child I I don't blame Mabel But honestly I really see it from a point of view Of Mabel was protecting Mabel Because that's what Mabel needed to do Oh yeah, Like I don't blame Mabel I don't think she had a chance to make a choice of whether or not she's going to care for the little girl because once she had the chance, she, she left. left Robin. Yeah. Yeah. Which again, amen. She has her own life mm-hmm. and family to go see. But what's at that happening. point, she also knew Edith was there, right? Or was that before Edith was there? Um, I think that they knew. I think. I think yeah, she knew that Edith, she had a sister. Yeah, and also Edith raised holy heck to get Mabel out of. Um, yeah, out you're of, right. Um, I started to listen to it again, mm-hmm. and when you're listening to her talk about her sister, and you know, she's especially not there real. was a part at the beginning <laughs> that I was a little confused by the first time, where she's talking about her sister and how like it's like looking in a mirror or something, yeah. but it's like there and was some twins don't describe themselves that way, which is why I was yeah. confused because it's like she looks like me, but she doesn't look like me, yeah. and it's like looking in a mirror, but it's like, but twins then afterwards it was like, oh, I know she's not real. There were oh. these very. Oh, when they're at the rock quarry, and she starts to run off, but she wonders, she figures her sister can make her way home. I'm like, 
You're leaving her. I was I was genuinely worried that the boys were going to find her sister and throw rocks at her. Yeah, I, I was, just figured that was. I didn't put a lot of stock in that. I was like, well, that's cold. Robin. Yeah, <laughs> you're mean, uh, your sister. But Peace she'd down. already been so mean to her. She used mm-hmm. her as her own personal whipping boy or whipping girl, and. Um, the I, I know that twins don't look at each other that way but. because I asked these boys who were very cute Australian mm-hmm. twins in elementary school when they were leaving. They uh-huh. got they did a Q and A with the class. So we could <laughs> ask them anything we wanted. I was like, "What is it like when you look at your brother and it's like looking in the mirror?" And when I was like, "Uh, that's not what it's that's like not here. what it's like." <laughs> no. Um, I have a couple like discussion questions that I figured we could bring up, but one of them is while well, we're talking about cat. What purpose does Cat serve in Robin's life, and what necess- necessitated her appearance? How does Robin use Cat to navigate her home life with her parents, and then her life with Edith? Is Cat an effective coping mechanism, and are there any downsides to her presence? Well, I think it amplified her loneliness because yeah. it, she didn't challenge herself to find. Um, she didn't need to find friends because yeah. she had her sister. Mm-hmm. Or when she was thwarted. Because she certainly sought companionship with mm-hmm. the boys she or the girls and the, the girls boys. just wouldn't yeah. play her games. The right. surprise to me was that it, when you reali- when I realized Kat wasn't real, I thought oh, an imaginary friend. But Kat but she really did have a twin sister who died yeah. at birth. Which, right. So that kind of You know, was, how quickly did you know that was the the conversation she all. wasn't supposed to hear i was i was thinking oh an imaginary friend i mean um i had an imaginary friend when i was little because i was in a very lonely circumstance mm-hmm. when you're all by yourself you make up play and part of that is a making up a friend to play with mm-hmm. um but then my middle son trevor he made a he had an imaginary friend um powdered toast man <laughs> or no is one something toast man um, but mostly that was in case he, so messy. if he got in trouble, <laughs> if he got in trouble, it wasn't his fault. It was the fault of this imaginary yeah. friend. And I said, well, since I can't discipline your imaginary friend, you'll have to take what he gets. <laughs> so maybe you should tell him to straighten up. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and that I, didn't, and I mean, that that's what Kat did for her too, right? Yeah. She took all her personal imperfections. Cause it sounds like, I mean, she was sort of like the hard. antithesis of, yeah. of Robin. Yeah. Her mom was a hard character, mm-hmm. you know, um, and so... So it, all those emotions that she was not allowed to express... Mm-hmm. Robin cried, ex- or Kat was the one that cried, Kat, Robin Kat wouldn't was, cry. Mm-hmm. She was able to at least imagine it being expressed through her imaginary friend. That for an imaginary twin. That heartbreaking Ugh. scene in the library yes, with Maggie, <laughs> and she just starts crying and telling her about what's happening. And it was like, oh, I was crying in my I car. I was crying in my car it was, too. Yeah. So with, with I'm you know, cry right now she, about it. like, she, of course, your mommy and daddy would want you to cry. I know. She sort of <laughs> lets go of Cat for a while, and then she learns like, oh, I can probably let my feelings out, yeah. and she just spills them all over the library yeah. to this woman. <laughs> Um, I love that that was Maggie. It took me, I didn't totally get it was Maggie. I think they said her name. Yeah, they did. I didn't like get it. I didn't connect it yet. (laughs) Oh, I did. Um, but of all the, Maggie is pure magic. But of all the people that she could connect with, this total random stranger in a library. Mm Mm-hmm. And it happens to be the perfect person. So Maggie is the white angel. Yeah. Um, that helps, uh, beauty or his helping beauty find her daughter. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, when that character was sort of introduced and they were talking about it, I was a little 
concerned about her character. That she'd be a white savior character. It or, also or it felt a little her. like uh um shit what it's excuse me shoot what is it called um <laughs> like when it comes in like right at the end of save oh a MacGuffin no, no. that's a, that's a, a plot it's something like that yeah. it's like uh what is it so it's a plot Machina. tool so that you can do you know what I'm forward. talking about oh um anyway Isabel. it was what like a convenient thing what a convenient yeah. thing to happen but and I was also concerned about the sort of like white saviorism aspect yes. of it but in the end but she's she not. doesn't really help her that much because yes. she tells beauty like stop looking for Nomsa. you know you're I you need to you know relax with your search and you know and I'll help you but in your own but time. But you're kind of risking everybody and with so, your doggedness. And Beauty doesn't listen to her. She does it herself you know and but, uh, and, and uh, as a mom I don't I wouldn't listen to her either. Yeah. I'd be like So that was why I was like exactly. my agenda my whole reason to be yeah. here my whole reason if I stop looking for her then I have no reason to be missing out on time with my two sons that are somehow I don't know who's caring for her sons. They care they for were, themselves. Well, they the were like older They're like he was like older. a teenager oh, okay. and stuff. 15 or 16. Something like oh, okay. that. Yeah, but, but it's like, like she's missing out on that time with her sons. Her whole purpose of being there is to find her daughter. And, and she's not going to let that go. And Maggie serves as the... Because the whole time you're waiting for these two characters to meet each other. Because yes. you know they're going to come together. <clears throat> so Maggie serves as the vehicle for them to come together and meet bridge. each other. And, you know, Beauty loves and appreciates Maggie. But at the same time she knows what's best and yep. what she's going to do. Um, so. And Maggie brings together all kinds of people who mm-hmm. have all kinds of Like the social worker yeah. woman. I can't remember her name. Oh, Willie. Yeah. Which, Will- which, Will- Wilhelmina. 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 Okay. Yeah. Which I totally hated until I realized she really is. I, I didn't trust her until it had to be spelled out to were, me so much because you she was were, the, you she were Robin. The you, yeah, exactly. You were Robin. Um, she's going to take her away. And even though as a, grown adult you know that's probably what's best for Robin yeah. is to not live with Edith <laughs> but at the same time you don't want that to happen because no, that's all that is, she has exactly. she, she is the character that's like the mean dog catcher yeah. Yeah. you're trying to hide, hide your puppies from so that they won't come and take your puppies yeah, I, right. think you, you know. I think it's odd Adu ex machina is a plot device whereby an unsolvable conflict or point of tension is suddenly resolved by the unexpected appearance of an impossible character, yeah. object, oh. action, ability, or event. That's what Deus I was thinking. Which is like kind of what a MacGuffin is, the, too, but for like movies. the god in the machine? Deus ex machina? Yeah. 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 The god in the machine, exactly. Um... Poof! Miracles happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it didn't happen that way, so I was glad no. that I was... Yeah trepidatious about her character Um, but so i work in a funeral home and um maggie gives out saint christopher medals to Mm -hmm. everyone who um is part of her you know under her care or part of her um network and um that necklace symbolizes and tells other people who that you're okay that you can trust that that you're safe um and on the back side it says believe Mm mm-hmm and so I can't. I was um, taking care of someone's belongings, and there was a Saint Christopher medal in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had to turn it over. Did it say that? Oh, no, no, no. no. <laughs> it was a Saint Christopher, <laughs> which is great too. But yeah. I, I had to still look. And yeah, I, that about the medals thing. Um, Maggie says that she would have given Beauty a gold one, but she knows that gifts of such high value raise mm-hmm. more questions. Yeah. And that's not the purpose of it. And Beauty's like, I wouldn't take a gold one anyway. Gold because is on the, the blood of my... Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it killed her husband. Yeah. It's, yeah. 
and so that, there's where you see and I the keep viewpoint about two that now different too. cultures. Also, I'm like, it, that's not not true anymore. I mean, oh, it's yeah, it's still true. Like all mm-hmm. precious metals and gems. I mean, gives you very careful. Um, yeah, it was an interesting like. Well, gee, yeah, maybe that's not something <laughs> that I want to partake in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At um, the beginning of the book, when she's on her journey to go find her daughter, and she's, like, in the bus, and she's, like, taking forever to get there, and, like, at first, uh, you know, you feel so bad for her, because yeah. she's, like, working so hard, but at the same time, she doesn't really complain no. at no. all about it. I mean, yeah. she's, the way it she is. tells you how it's, you know, frustrating yeah. or whatever, but she's... She's At used no to. point does she say this is too hard. No, she just oh, that's not even a question. She accepts it, yeah. that yeah, it's hard, but that this is what m- needs to be done. You're right, but, and yet she's in her di- in her like telling. She still elegantly contrasts how easy it is for other people to move around. Mm-hmm. So like she's talking about the journey of the letter, and she's like, "This is a however right. many day walk where it's." And I think when she says the white woman, I think she's talking about the missionary. Mm-hmm. Um, that it would take her forty five minutes to drive, yeah. right, to get um, where she needs to be. It's just so clearly and elegantly presented that th- yeah. this is it. These are the contrasts. Um, what's another question? Um, okay, so. Let's see. One of them is, uh, hold on. So we can start from the beginning if you want. Um, It says, Robin is a product of her environment and adopts the racist ideology of those around her. Mm -hmm. How do these prejudices and preconceived notions about black people inform the way she acts? And how does her behavior and thinking change throughout the book, particularly toward beauty? Um, That's so transformative through the whole book. Well, that's any child. I mean, race is a social construct. Mm-hmm. So the you people your, around you teach you. You mm-hmm. get the ideas of the world around you and the explanations for why things are based on the attitudes that your parents have. But it's not... Or the other adults it's in all, your life. It's throughout... It's woven throughout the tapestry of, like any country, but this one, because she has it coming from other white groups. Mm-hmm. So there's the Afrikaners versus the English, and then all the white people against the black people. And then there are the people with nowhere, which are the mixed race people. Right. Like King George. Um, I, I think she becomes, I mean, she just starts taking people at their face value. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and at the beginning, she's not outwardly prejudiced toward anyone. You know, no. she has her opinion of her um, maid. Yeah, Mabel, who, who she, she loves. loves. Yeah, she loves. And she her. talks she still about thinks of Mabel as someone who is there to help her serve her needs. Because that's the well, yeah, because she's as a child, yeah. that's what she's taught. Yeah. And then she talks about how, like, when the police come or whatever, cats hiding because cats afraid of black people. Oh yeah, she's not afraid. Like she's not. I mean, she might be, but she doesn't say she's afraid of black nope. men. But cats, the one who's afraid yeah. of the black men. Yeah. So she sort of puts all that on yeah. her sensitive sister, who doesn't actually exist. Nope. But and she, I mean, she's like, okay, so black people killed my parents, and so black people kill white people, and so mm-hmm. I should be afraid. And right. And then she comes to acknowledge, oh, well, and then white, white people, people kill, kill black, black people, people, and um, not all are good, and not all are bad. Mm-hmm. And um, and she changes toward beauty when she learns that she can trust her, yeah. and mm-hmm. that she finds her, I think she finds her interesting <coughs> as a person, because... Yes. Beauty is different than other black people she's probably met because she's mm-hmm. more educated. She's 
probably stronger, I think, than other mm-hmm. people that she's met. And yeah. I think, she, I mean, Beauty is such a dynamic character. Mm-hmm. She's a very strong, um, intelligent, gracious woman. Mm-hmm. And she it, knows she, she knows like what she wants, like in right. her throughout her entire character, because she doesn't get married and have children early. She gets mm-hmm. her education. Mm-hmm. She goes against everything in everything her life. Everything a little stereotype. Yeah. Right. Her mother's like, what are you doing? Right. Um, everyone around her is like, what, what are, are you, you doing? doing? <laughs> uh, another question is, uh, Robin and Beauty come together against all odds to create a, a family of their own. How does this book challenge norms of the conventional nuclei, nuclear family? How does Beauty's role as the mother of Nomsa differ from her role as Robin's caretaker? What does Hum If You Don't Know the Words tell us about human connection in the face of adversity? So, I Jeez, think... That's a huge question. I know. Wow. So, what is this book... How does this book challenge the norms of a conventional nuclear family? Which is what Robin has at the beginning of the book. Yeah. With her mom and dad. And then she goes and lives with her aunt. Which I guess is, you know, a more non-conventional family. And then... But Beauty still, comes to live with her. And who's the neighbor guy, the horrible neighbor oh, man oh, that she punches guy. in the gut? Yeah. Oh, I love her just going after him. Yeah. Like, just ran, like headbutts him. I don't remember his anyway, name. Anyway. He was awful. He's this terrible racist neighbor who was, like, very concerned about Beauty's presence. Beauty's in the, lying on the ground after her heart attack. What's happening in there? Yeah. Can I get the police for her? <laughs> uh, so he sort of, I think he sort of represents, like, what most people would probably be concerned with is why is she because she's i think they she know she's not here. she's not their yeah. maid yeah you know it's but a it's different like, sort of situation like everything when you are skirting the system and and getting around these horrible oppressive rules mm-hmm. um people are curious until and, it's fully out in the open and admitted to you can't you can't, you can't prove it and call somebody on it. Yeah, that's true. I do love that um, <laughs> the sweet little nerdy boy. <laughs> uh, what was his name? Maury. 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 Yeah, Maury. But his family, they had a lot to lose by, by keeping mm-hmm. the secret, but they kept the secret because they're a Jewish family whose family, they, they know how what it's like to escape persecution. Mm-hmm. And I love that they kept that secret. Yes. That they protected them. Well, it's it's part of it's that. Part they of, helped her. They're yeah. part of her family now. Yeah, yeah, like definitely. that non nuclear family. So I, it I takes wonder, that. It really takes the idea of it takes a village because it's almost a a, a village well, within the apartment. You asked who was caring for the boys. I mean, the oh. her um, beauty's boys kind of self care, but they live in, in a, a traditional village. village where everyone's going to take care of everyone. So that's which she talks version. about that too. I think. So maybe right? the idea of a new yeah family differs by by nuclear what is the normal the norm normative family so in that where beauty's boys are the normative is that the village helps care and so we see that can that like that nuclear convention being destroyed and the thing that works is the village caring for her Mm -hmm. um Okay, so I think it's really interesting that the character chose to have a Jewish family. So that is a another um, minority group that's always ostracized mm-hmm. no matter where they are. 
were there Jewish were were there Jewish groups in South Africa? I did not know that. If there were, I mean, I trust there must be there are everywhere. Well. <laughs> like, yeah, that's true. The diaspora. Yeah, and well, so a really interesting thing that Trevor Noah goes into. So, how many people do you think died in the Soweto um, uprising? I don't know. I remember it was a lot. The story is very gru- like the you know the streets are covered yeah. in blood. And I think I read something where it was like they say it was a couple hundred, but then it ended up being I don't remember what the numbers were. So it, it, the first thing I you thought get it was a lot ended up being a lot higher than originally. Oh, I'm sure, but I'm trying to remember because I was in grade school when all this was happening, so I was only vaguely aware of apartheid. But you know, well, when I was in junior Actually, high and high school, that's when I was about, was full I was about, so I was about age. Robin's age. Yeah. Yeah. That's At, in 10, the early 70s. 1970s. It's 1976. Okay. I was, years a, li- old, I was a little bit older. No. Okay. I was born in 64. So you're yeah. so close you're to her close age. Straight. You're basically. She turns, doesn't she turn 11 she, or 12? Yeah. No. I she she turned 11. 10. When her parents die, because she's writing the age she'll be on her next birthday in the hopscotch. Mm. Um, deaths, 176, with some, this is uh, Wikipedia's count, um, with some estimates ranging to 700. Mm-hmm. Basically, the South African government never acknowledges how right. many, or counts how many people died. Right. So Trevor Noah has this interesting part. I know we read this book but (laughs) really informed by reading of the next book um that if you ask an african who they'd go back in time to kill Mm -hmm. like most europeans and westerners are gonna say they're gonna go kill hitler right but that's not what an african would say most likely Mm -hmm. they have a whole list of villains Mm -hmm. that they would go kill first um and it depends on the region yeah. And yeah. so what holo- the Holocaust gives pe- groups who survive that, you know, primarily Jewish people, but there are a lot of oppressed groups who survive that. The Germans kept a count, and mm-hmm. so it counts. This is what Trevor Noah said. But in Africa, across all the different regions and countries, no one ever counts. Right. And so no one ever knows how many, what, <laughs> what level of atrocity has right. been perpetrated either, you know, by Europeans or by infighting that Europeans have created. It, it was just like hit me to my core because this uprising that's the centerpiece of uh-huh. you know, the inciting incident for this book is a prime example of that. These were all children. Yeah. They were all yeah. school age children that were shot and battered <coughs> in the streets. Mm-hmm. Like the military was treating them like with guerrilla war tactics, and these were they weren't treating them it, like human it beings. It was a peaceful protest. It yeah, was a, yeah. yeah. They walked children streets. marching yeah. in the street they to protest rocks. curriculum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so at the same time, I'm listening to this book. This the climate change mm-hmm. walkout is happening in mm-hmm. schools. And it, I mean, it, here's this thing that these children can do, and here's this other perfectly equivalent thing that mm-hmm. these children lost their lives for, or changed the directions of their lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, Nomsa's life is I mean, how heart wrenching was it to hear, "Oh, I married him." 
Yeah, I can't. Married, I'm I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm married to him. I'm his. I'm his now. I had, yeah, I had like, a choice. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Her course is set. Thank you. <laughs> um. So one uh, aspect of the book that I wanted to talk about was, I wish I could remember this character's name. Um, Edith's friend. The um. So there's this weird. There's this parallel that the author draws between racism and homophobia. Yes. So Ooh. I think they oh, yeah. use it as I think the author is using it as a way to help um, Robin come to terms with different types of people in general. Yes. Yeah. So as she becomes more open to, I can't remember his name. Do you remember his name? It was like Stephen or something, but that's not it. I can't remember his name. Anyway, Stephen, <laughs> <laughs> Edith's friend. Um, <coughs> You know, she learns to love him and he becomes part of her family and someone that she trusts. And then I think that opens her up to other experiences and other types of people as well. That's true because it didn't, because she grew, she grew to care for him mm -hmm. like a, like an uncle, like a bit, like an, like an uncle that comes in. And it was like, a, like she met him before she knew that he was a gay man. Yep. You know, she doesn't, she's young, so she doesn't realize what that means or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, she's, she just loves him because he's nice to her and he takes care of her and he brings her presents and, you know, he's a fun guy to be around. And when she learns that he is a gay man, she's like, she could care less. Like, she's like, what does it matter who, you know, it doesn't matter to me who you are, or who you love or whatever. So she's open to, like, once I think she learns, like, you know, I, it doesn't matter to me, like, I could care less she got to know him as a person, so she right. didn't have any judgment. So she doesn't, and she wasn't exposed kind of to that really as a child, so she mm -hmm. doesn't have any prejudice against gay people. Well, not that the story tells us. So she doesn't have any prejudice against gay people starting out, so she's like, why does it matter? Why she are these people being mean to you? She seemed completely unaware well, that, that such a thing exists. But when she's growing up learning about black people versus white people, she has a prejudice against them already. Yeah. So I think it, the author's using it as a way to like show like that she is an open mind. I mean, she's a child. Part of her. She's open minded. Mm -hmm. Do you figure out his Finding name? It? I'm looking for it. Still. It, it was like, was it Johan? No. It was something like that. Anyway. Johan, I think it was one of the neighbors, the neighbor kids. It could be. Well, um, and there was, Plus, there was this partner mm -hmm. that, yeah. I know. She has such a hard time because, like, right when Beauty is before, I think it's right before Beauty goes to the hospital, mm -hmm. her friend goes to the hospital because he's beaten by a group of people for being a gay man. Yeah. And so she's worried about him. And then in, like, the next beat, then... I was totally crying when she was at his bed. Mm-hmm. And she was... And just yeah. trying to comfort him. And oh, I know. And they're holding hands. Oh, my God. sweet little heart. Was, yeah. Trying to say... You know, she didn't understand why this is happening, but she didn't care. Mm -hmm. She just wants him to get better. Yeah. Um. Okay. Let's see. <coughs> what else can we talk about? How long, How far are we? Yeah. So let's try and wrap it up a little bit. So okay. um, the last question I have here is what do you make of the ending? And why do you think the author chose to conclude the novel at the point that it did? And then if there were an epilogue, where do you think we'd find the characters later? Um, I think I would never want an epilogue. <coughs> no. Yeah. It's I don't like epilogues in general. I find them satisfying at times. I like, like to sort of, 
think about where you know I, I like to sort of make conclusions for myself yeah and I feel like if there's an epilogue it's sort of like well you're wrong but this is you know what I mean yeah I guess some things are up to, to interpretation me, an but. epilogue belongs at the end of a series or maybe it, at the end of a book that yeah, may like, not that may not have a sequel but you but they need to wrap up some of the unanswered questions like like the epilogue of the um oh wow <laughs> the thing you were thinking of <laughs> Um, you know, she shoots arrows and goes against the capital. Hunger Games. <laughs> Thank you. Ah. I like that epilogue. Um, I know some people find the content a little disturbing. Like they wish that, you know, it didn't turn out that way for her. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like that epilogue and I like its placement. Like that's mm-hmm. done. That story is done. Right. Dun, 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 dun. Um, but I mean, everything that's ahead of each of our heroine is so tangled i mean robin is still charting unknown waters with her aunt Uh and right around the corner is you know the teens Uh so (laughs) i mean we know she turns out all right because it feels like it's she's an adult a little bit i was a little confused by the narrative because it sounds like you know the way she's talking is like she's a child but she has enough you know, knowledge and reflection that you can tell she's an adult when she's telling you the story. She's so I was a little confused by like at least where we're supposed to be early twenties because she talks about like oh when I took psychology I learned how fractured I had right. become. Um, the one part of the book that I had a hard time really I can't you can't tie the, a bow around what's ahead of us right characters. true and I probably wouldn't want to mm-hmm. one of the one part of the book that I had a tough time following or buying is that she that she's willing to go into this all black gin joint and and she because she didn't really seem that bold I, it's hard to, oh, to see really? that she was super bold enough to I mean by the end there was a lot riding on. At Maybe first she was scared because she went twice, right? Yeah, yeah. And at first she was scared, but by the end she was like, "I have to help Beauty, That's and I'm true. not." Well, in her mind, she's the only one that can do it. She well, so I don't think she felt like she had much of a Maybe choice. Maybe she felt like it was her fault that this happened, and nobody el- and nobody else could do it because no one. I mean, else it was her fault story. that it happened. It, it was. was also. She, I mean, she doesn't <laughs> trust many of the adults in her life either. I right. don't blame her. Though. She trusts Beauty and Maury. And yeah. that's about, and maybe Maggie because Maggie made magic. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we don't. Maggie is almost a cardboard character. Like, yeah, she doesn't do a whole lot except for no. bring some people together. Yeah. How? But there's a lot of places where you think, how fortuitous is that? That when um, when Beauty is, um, she, well, she takes like a car out to. When, remember, she, she and Willie get yeah. in the truck to go mm-hmm. see if they can find. The friend, the mm-hmm. friend who's working. She at just the happens. Bar. She just happens to stop at the right house and break in, and and she's very lucky at Mag's house, where I think is Maggie. No, not. Oh, Maggie. but she was heading there though. She was heading there. I she did. Didn't know I she, also she didn't know for sure which yeah, house it was. There was and a dramatic lo- tension there of mm-hmm. like. Oh, how convenient! You're right in front of the right house. I'm, I'm after gonna, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gonna lie. Just the right person cover, came out to just help me. Happened to cover for me, but I mean, it's plausible. Yeah, because she, that's where she, she was, was going. almost there. You know, she'd been taking all day to find it, and she they probably were lurking, like looking for her. I would yeah. think, but they had went, didn't they just like pull up? But I agree at with the right you. Time? It was like, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of lucky. Well, I think good that, timing. I feel 
the the caretaker who came out first. The, um, the, he yeah. might have been able to carry it off because he could prove he was in the right place. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, because she doesn't have the documentation that she needs. Yeah. I, it did. It did make me wonder if places. It's kind of like a underground railroad of sorts, mm-hmm. bringing some to sa- some people to safety out of apartheid. Yeah, that's what she was doing. But I yeah. felt like. But I, people, I wanted to know: Is that did that really happen? Were there places? Were there white yes. people yeah, that, that, yes. that okay. had that set up? So you, I mean, Trevor Noah's book <coughs> is a perfect companion to this one, okay? <laughs> because he talks Border about family. like how his mom. Um, first of all, she didn't want to be a like just be a, a. She didn't want the choices that were in front of her. I can't right now directly say what they were mm-hmm. and at the, that moment there happened to be a training program to um, train for office work mm-hmm. so which he makes some great analogy about how unlikely it was that a black woman was really going to get hired in an office but she makes it happen and she wants to live in Johannesburg so she um, she learns from the women who are able to live in Johannesburg which are all um, sex workers mm. and <laughs> She doesn't want to do that, though. She nope. wants to work in an office. Um, how to live in the city. Mm-hmm. And then he, you know, Trevor Noah talks to his mom later and says, why did you live this way? And why did we live this way? Because I went out into the world and left South Africa and I met all of these mixed race people who didn't grow up there. Well, he, they would have had to leave. Mm-hmm. And this was their country. Mm-hmm. And she, she's from... South Africa, why would she leave? This right. is her place. That was her home. But, but yeah, there's like, um, and one parent usually left. Both parents didn't get to leave usually. Mm. Uh, but yes, there was a network of getting people out. That's awesome. All right, then. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed the book. I'm thank you, Xenia, who recommended it because I was going to read it anyway. So I'm glad that we got to talk about it. I love this book, and oh. I don't know I would have chosen out. Man. Quick question. Yeah. I throughout the whole book I kept trying to figure out where the title came from and they did bring it in closer to the end no uh, I mean, Edith Hummus says it at the at, funeral yeah like in the middle of the book at her at her uh, sister's I th- funeral I think it, I think this title like the next book it's clear mm-hmm. if you want to make God laugh mm-hmm. um, but I think hum if you don't know the words refers to like what we all do through life, which Fake is it till you make it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, just keep keep making, going. Yeah. It sounds like you know you're supposed to be here or you're supposed to be mm-hmm. doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Even if you're a eleven year old little girl in a completely Fight that imposter system. black um, <laughs> keep on going. Yeah, that's one of these Township, questions is like what do you th- what's the significance <laughs> of the book's title and why do you think it was chosen? And how does it relate to the book's central themes? Well, if I was writing my first book, I'd definitely call it that. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, I mean, it, I, it's, it sets you up for everybody's just... Just doing their best. Trying. They're trying. Pretending to be here the way they're supposed to mm-hmm. be here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like you, we were talking about that scene where she's pretending to be a uh, maid going to the house where she's going to work. Yeah. And she's like doing her best to convince these people like yep. I don't know what I'm doing I don't have the proper papers <laughs> please believe me so I can keep moving you know um, I'm sure my papers are right in there if you just let me go in I will go get them yeah it's such a, at least if I could just get out you know, away from these people I mm-hmm. want to say one more thing too because like the I, I'm you know 
interested in learning more and learning more perspectives about South Africa. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an interesting um, social experiment mm-hmm. of how do you heal this like deeply divided and divided by design mm-hmm. country, mm-hmm. which we look at in our own country right now. I don't yep. think it's as by design, like it right. was intentional to create the circumstances in South Africa of this time. Mm-hmm. Um I do think our system is maintained by design, though. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so how how do you get your country out of that and do it so well? Well, again, listening to Trevor Noah, it's interesting. He spent, like, you know, his first three decades living there. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the time of transition, maybe it's not <laughs> so, you know, magically done. Um I want to either read James Mitchner's book called The Covenant, which is 15,000 years and 58 oh, hours. Oh, you told me that. <laughs> um, you can, I'll just rely on your clip <laughs> I'll notes. give you a brief synopsis. <laughs> and that'll be all I need. <laughs> or listen to Nelson Mandela's um, A Long Walk to Freedom. But Nelson Mandela, like, I love that this <clears throat> book gave us this perspective on this time. Mm-hmm. He's one man who did amazing things and he's amazing, was an amazing human being. Mm-hmm. But he was, everybody looks to his story. Like, I love that this gave us someone else's story. Th- yeah. These stories, mm-hmm. um, especially from a woman's point of view. That was right in the beginning. Beauty says something that just has been bouncing in my brain. Mm-hmm. You never have to tell a black woman where she belongs. Mm-hmm. I was like, whoa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, yeah, that sort of set a tone for exactly yeah. what she was going to be going through. Oh. <laughs> With that in mind, you really, really need to listen to uh, and read the second book. Because more of that, what it's like to be a woman mm-hmm. in South Africa, even 15 years later. Mm-hmm. Even, yeah. I mean, when you think of one this that that in the second book, they're getting to vote. The blacks are getting to vote for the very first time in history mm-hmm. over their in their country, and um, and when you think about it, like I tried when I was trying to tell, talk to my youngest son about this because we always have love historical things to talk about, and he just he goes, "Wait, it's Africa, but the white people are in charge." I don't get that. I just don't understand. <laughs> yeah, South that. Africa is a confusing country. It is. <laughs> yeah. The fir- I mean, the first time I was he, like, "You're from South Africa." When yeah. I was like, Afrikaners, what do you, he goes, like, "What do you mean that a country called South Africa isn't South Africa just the direction, just the, the part the of Africa, the part of Africa?" No, there is a country called South Africa. So, yeah. Um. So anyway, well, um, we yeah. I w- well I want to hear any perspectives that you might have. So um, we think we're going to try and make this a monthly book club. Mm-hmm. So maybe if we get any uh, emails or any insights that we would like to discuss, maybe we'll start off with that in the next episode and sort of do a little wrap up. If you guys have mm-hmm. anything you want to say, any perspectives that you have, whatever, I'm please email us. Um, you can send emails to strings and things info at gmail.com or leave a comment on wherever you're listening to this. Maybe on the subject line, put book club so we so it, it stands out. Yeah. Um, so the next book that we have chosen, we all put uh, titles in a hat and picked one out, um, is Where'd You Go, Bernadette by Maria Semple. Um, I, it was a movie recently with... Um, 
Oh, uh, you know, I, I, it. I started this sentence. Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett. Anyway, I just saw the movie. Well, I didn't just see the movie. Is it was the movie a couple by months the same ago. Name? Yes. Okay. So I saw the movie and I thought, oh, I really like to read that book because it's a pretty popular book. So that's what we're going to read. Um, I don't know exactly when that next episode will be up, but um before christmas mid-december before christmas um so i want to give you about a month to catch up right so we our normal episodes of strings unraveled come out the first monday of every month so if you listen to that i'll start off the episode by telling you the actual date and then you could just pay attention to our instagram or our if you're uh signed up for our newsletter emails you'll you'll know when it's gonna come out or just look for it mid-december i love this book yeah, mm-hmm. I loved it too. And yeah. I'm glad that we're doing this. This is yeah. I thought it was fun. I really enjoyed it too. I mm-hmm. am trying I to read more books this year because I was like, I don't know how many books I read last year. Like, I'll give myself a challenge. Ten books. I don't know. We'll see. And then I hit that like in June. And I was like, oh, I guess I read more than I thought I did. <laughs> so this is going to help me keep up my... Uh, yeah. I I read less than ten books and I... But I listen to a lot of books. Well, that counts. A lot of books. I count those. Okay. Then I'm doing all right. (laughs) Yeah, then you're doing great. All right, guys. um, We'll talk to you in a month about the next book. Okay. All right. See you. Bye. Good night.